Hello from Tokyo. I am a Buddhist living in Japan. I would like to share with you the main points of the Buddhist scriptures. This podcast contains parables and simple expressions which represent the essence of the sutras he true teachings of the Shakyamuni Buddha, the founder of Buddhism. I sincerely hope that this podcast will provide you with guidance in your encountering of the awakened person in daily life and provides you with fresh answers to your life's situations. Now, let's listen to The Life of Sakyamuni. We will listen about Shakyamuni's life and his teachings. Shakyamuni Buddha. 1. The Life of the Buddha. The Shakya clansmen dwelt along the Rohini River which flows among the southern foothills of the Himalayas. Their king, Shuddhodana Gautama, established his capital at Kapilavasta and there had a great castle built and ruled wisely, winning the acclaim of his people. The queen's name was Maya. She was the daughter of the king's uncle who was also the king of a neighboring district of the same Shakya clan. For 20 years they had no children. But on night Queen Maya had a strange dream, in which she saw a white elephant entering into her womb through the right side of her chest, and she became pregnant. The king and the people looked forward with anticipation to to the birth of a royal child. According to their custom the queen returned to her parents' home for the birth, and on her way, in the beautiful spring sunshine, she took a rest in the Lumbini garden. All about her were Ashoka blossoms. In delight she reached her right arm out to pluck a branch and as she did so a prince was born. All expressed their heartfelt delight with the glory of the queen and her princely child. Heaven and earth rejoiced. This memorable day was the eighth day of April. The joy of the king was extreme and he named the child, Siddhartha, which means, every wish fulfilled. In the palace of the king, however, delight was followed quickly by sorrow, for after several days the lovely queen Maya suddenly died. Her younger sister, Mahaprajapati, became the child's foster mother and brought him up with loving care. A hermit, called Asita, who lived in the mountains not far away, noticed a radiance about the castle. Interpreting it as a good omen he came down to the palace and was shown the child. He predicted, this prince, if he remains in the palace, when grown up will become a great king and subjugate the whole world. But if he forsakes the court life to embrace a religious life, he will become a Buddha, the savior of the world. At first the king was pleased to hear this prophecy. But later he started to worry about the possibility of his only son leaving the palace to become a homeless recluse. At the age of seven the prince began his lessons in the civil and military arts, but his thoughts more naturally tended to other things. One spring day he went out of the castle with his father. Together they were watching a farmer at his plowing when he noticed a bird descended to the ground and carried off a small worm which had been turned up by the farmer's plow. He sat down in the shade of a tree and thought about it, whispering to himself. Alas! Do all living creatures kill each other? The prince, who had lost his mother so soon after his birth, was deeply affected by the tragedy of these little creatures. The spiritual wound deepened day by day as he grew up. Like a little scar on a young tree, the suffering of human life became more and more deeply ingrained in his mind. The king was increasingly worried as he recalled the hermit's prophecy and tried in every possible way to cheer the prince and to turn his thoughts in other directions. The king arranged the marriage of the prince at the age of 19 to the princess Yashadhara. She was the daughter of Superhuda, the lord of Devadaha castle and a brother of the late queen Maya. For ten years, in the different pavilions of spring, autumn and the rainy season, the prince was immersed in rounds of music, dancing and pleasure, 
but always his thoughts returned to the problem of suffering as he pensively tried to understand the true meaning of human life. The luxuries of the palace, this healthy body, this rejoicing youth, what do they mean to me? He thought. Someday we may be sick, we shall become aged. From death there is no escape. Pride of youth, pride of health, pride of existence, all thoughtful people should cast them aside. A man struggling for existence will naturally look for something of value. There are two ways of looking, a right way and a wrong way. If he looks in the wrong way he recognizes that sickness, old age and death are unavoidable, but he seeks the opposite. If he looks in the right way he recognizes the true nature of sickness, old age and death, and he searches for meaning in that which transcends all human sufferings. In my life of pleasures I seem to be looking in the wrong way. Thus the spiritual struggle went on in the mind of the prince until his only child, Rahula, was born when he was 29. This seemed to bring things to a climax, for he then decided to leave the palace and look for the solution of his spiritual unrest in the homeless life of a mendicant. He left the castle one night with only his charioteer, Chandaka, and his favorite horse, the snow-white Kanthaka. His anguish did not end and many devils tempted him saying, You would do better to return to the castle for the whole world would soon be yours. But he told the devil that he did not want the whole world. So he shaved his head and turned his steps toward the south, carrying a begging bowl in his hand. The prince first visited the hermit Bhagava and watched his ascetic practices. He then went to Arada Kalama and Yudraka Ramaputra to learn their methods of attaining enlightenment through meditation. But after practicing them for a time he became convinced that they would not lead him to enlightenment. Finally he went to the land of Magadha and practiced asceticism in the forest of Uruvilva on the banks of the Niranjana River, which flows by the Gaia village. The methods of his practice were unbelievably rigorous. He spurred himself on with the thought that no ascetic in the past, none in the present, and none in the future, ever has practiced or ever will practice more earnestly than I do. Still the prince could not realize his goal. After six years in the forest he gave up the practice of asceticism. He went bathing in the river and accepted a bowl of milk from the hand of Sujata, a maiden, who lived in the neighboring village. The five companions who had lived with the prince during the six years of his ascetic practice were shocked that he should receive milk from the hand of a maiden. They thought him degraded and left him. Thus the prince was left alone. He was still weak, but at the risk of losing his life he attempted yet another period of meditation, saying to himself, blood may become exhausted, flesh may decay, bones may fall apart, but I will never leave this place until I find the way to enlightenment. It was an intense and incomparable struggle for him. He was desperate and filled with confusing thoughts, dark shadows overhung his spirit, and he was beleaguered by all the lures of the devils. Carefully and patiently he examined them one by one and rejected them all. It was a hard struggle indeed, making his blood run thin, his flesh fall away, and his bones crack. But when the morning star appeared in the eastern sky, the struggle was over and the prince's mind was as clear and bright as the breaking day. He had, at last, found the path to enlightenment. It was December 8, when the prince became a Buddha at 35 years of age. From this time on the prince was known by different names. Some spoke of him as Buddha, the perfectly enlightened one, Tathagata. Some spoke of him as Shakyamuni, the sage of the Shakya clan. Others called him the world-honored one. He went first to Marigadava in Varanasi where the five mendicants who had lived with him during the six years of his ascetic life were staying. At first they shunned him, but after they had talked with him, they believed in him and became his first followers. He then went to the Rajagriya castle and won over King Bimbisara who had always been his friend. From there he went about the country living on alms and teaching men to accept his way of life. Men responded to him as the thirsty seek water and the hungry food. 
two great disciples, Sariputra and Madhgalyana, and their two thousand followers, came to him. At first the Buddha's father, King Shuddhodana, still inwardly suffering because of his son's decision to leave the palace, remained aloof, but then became his faithful disciple. Mahaprajapati, the Buddha's stepmother, and Princess Yashadhara, his wife, and all the members of the Shakya clan began to follow him. Multitudes of others also became his devoted and faithful followers. For 45 years the Buddha went about the country preaching and persuading men to follow his way of life. But when he was 80, at Vaisali and on his way from Rajagriha to Shravasti, he became ill and predicted that after three months he would enter Nirvana. Still he journeyed on until he reached Pava where he fell seriously ill from some food offered by Chunda, a blacksmith. Eventually, in spite of great pain and weakness, he reached the forest that bordered Kusinagara. Lying between two large solid trees, he continued teaching his disciples until his last moment. Thus he entered into perfect tranquility after he had completed his work as the world's greatest teacher. Under the guidance of Ananda, the Buddha's favorite disciple, the body was cremated by his friends in Kusinagara. Seven neighboring rulers as well as King Ajatasutru demanded that the relics be divided among them. The people of Kusinagara at first refused and the dispute even threatened to end in war. But under the advice of a wise man named Drona, the crisis passed and the relics were divided among the eight great countries. The ashes of the funeral pyre and the earthen jar that contained the relics were also given to two other rulers to be likewise honored. Thus ten great towers commemorating the Buddha were built to enshrine his relics and ashes. Two, the last teaching of the Buddha. Beneath the Sala trees at Kusinagara, in his last words to his disciples, the Buddha said, Make of yourself a light. Rely upon yourself. Do not depend upon anyone else. Make my teachings your light. Rely upon them. Do not depend upon any other teaching. Consider your body. Think of its impurity. Knowing that both its pain and its delight are alike causes of suffering, how can you indulge in its desires? Consider your self. Think of its transiency, how can you fall into delusion about it and cherish pride and selfishness, knowing that they must all end in inevitable suffering? Consider all substances, can you find among them any enduring, self? Are they not all aggregates that sooner or later will break apart and be scattered? Do not be confused by the universality of suffering, but follow my teaching, even after my death, and you will be rid of pain. Do this and you will indeed be my disciples. My disciples, the teachings that I have given you are never to be forgotten or abandoned. They are always to be treasured, they are to be thought about, they are to be practiced. If you follow these teachings you will always be happy. The point of the teachings is to control your own mind. Keep your mind from greed, and you will keep your behavior right, your mind pure and your words faithful. By always thinking about the transience of your life, you will be able to resist green and anger, and will be able to avoid all evils. If you find your mind tempted and so entangled in greed, you must suppress and control the temptation, be the master of your own mind. A man's mind may make him a Buddha, or it may make him a beast. Misled by error, one becomes a demon, enlightened, one becomes a Buddha. Therefore, control your mind and do not let it deviate from the right path. You should respect each other, follow my teachings, and refrain from disputes, you should not like water and oil, repel each other, but should, like milk and water, mingle together. Study together, learn together, practice my teachings together. Do not waste your mind and time in idleness and quarreling. Enjoy the blossoms of enlightenment in their season and harvest the fruit of the right path. The teachings which I have given you, I gained by following the path myself.
You should follow these teachings and conform to their spirit on every occasion. If you neglect them, it means that you have never really met me. It means that you are far from me, even if you are actually with me, but if you accept and practice my teachings, then you are very near to me, even though you are far away. My disciples, my end is approaching, our parting is near, but do not lament. Life is ever-changing, none can escape the dissolution of the body. This I am now to show by my own death, my body falling apart like a dilapidated cart. Do not vainly lament, but realize that nothing is permanent and learn from it the emptiness of human life. Do not cherish the unworthy desire that the changeable might become unchanging. The demon of worldly desires is always seeking chances to deceive the mind. If a viper lives in your room and you wish to have a peaceful sleep, you must first chase it out. You must break the bonds of worldly passions and drive them away as you would a viper. You must positively protect your own mind. My disciples, my last moment has come, but do not forget that death is only the end of the physical body. The body was born from parents and was nourished by food, just as inevitable are sickness and death. But the true Buddha is not a human body, it is enlightenment. A human body must die, but the wisdom of enlightenment will exist forever in the truth of the Dharma, and in the practice of the Dharma. He who sees merely my body does not truly see me. Only he who accepts my teaching truly sees me. After my death, the Dharma shall be your teacher. Follow the Dharma and you will be true to me. During the last 45 years of my life, I have withheld nothing from my teachings. There is no secret teaching, no hidden meaning, everything has been taught openly and clearly. My dear disciples, this is the end. In a moment, I shall be passing into nirvana. This is my instruction. Thanks for listening. Awakened person's wisdom is as broad as the ocean and his spirit is full of great compassion. There is a significant pledge called the Three Treasures that is recited by Buddhists all over the world. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. Buddha, awakened person. Shakyamuni is the historical figure of Buddha, however the heart of Buddha has been provided to us as the truth today. This inner heart is recalled by the Buddha statue which is the embodiment of the teachings of Buddha. Dharma, the wisdom that Shakyamuni has awakened. The Dharma means the teaching that the Buddha taught. Its contents can be heard as your inner truth which is recalled by the written teachings described in the sutras. Sangha, those who strive to awaken to wisdom. The Sangha originally meant a group of disciples which assembled around Shakyamuni. This is the group of those who possess a beautiful heart and practice the truth based on the Dharma that Buddha taught. To believe in the three treasures composed of Buddha, teachings and sacred friends is to let your narrow heart spread toward the vast world of truth which transcends all comprehension. This passage from the podcast was excerpted and edited from Teachings of the Buddha, published by Bucky Odendo Kyoke. The name means Buddhist Missionary Association in Japanese and has an office in Mita, Minato-ku, Tokyo. They own the copyright of this English translation of Buddhist scriptures. You will have access to Buddhist scriptures translated into languages from around the world. In the next issue, we will listen from Buddha about Eternity of Buddhahood. Goodbye. See you later.